Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Sunday, uh, June the 25th. And today we're going to talk about Cuba. We're going to talk with an old friend, uh, Pedro Luis Boitel, who's joining us uh, from Houston, from Houston, Texas. Uh, Pedro, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you, likewise. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's been a few years since I've seen you, but uh, you, you look great. <laughs> Well, thank you, too. I mean, it's been, it's been quite a while, but here we are. You know? That's right. We keep on going. That's it. For, for those who don't live in Texas, uh, it is very hot here in North Texas, and I assume it's hot and humid where you are. Extremely hot and humid. Yes, it is. That's the way it is. Um, you know, they call it summer uh, around here. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Cuba today, but before we do, uh, you know, some people who are watching may not know the story of your name. So I, I think it would be interesting uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about Pedro Luis Boitel, uh, the famous political prisoner in Cuba, who was your uncle. So please just take a few minutes and and relate to us uh, that side of your of your life. Certainly. Uh, my uncle was a, a man of profound conviction. And uh, his integrity remained intact until, you know, he took his last breath. Uh, he wasn't going to relinquish his beliefs, and therefore he fought communism from day one. At first, he was uh, you know, connected to Fidel Castro in a certain way, but eventually he realized that Castro uh, was, uh, well, the, the way that he was guiding the country was towards communism, so he became a counter-revolutionary, and he ended up in jail, and he ended up paying with his life. He sacrificed himself for his beliefs and his convictions, what he thought was right for the country that he loved so much. Yes. Um, yes and sorry. he died, uh, I think he was in a hunger strike, right, if I remember That's the right. story. He died of a hunger strike. strike. And he died in, on May 25, 1972, so it's half a century now. Yes. I, his impact, not just on you, I'm sure, but on my generation and, and others is amazing. I mean, he is a real, he's always been a hero in my eyes because of, like you said, his convictions and the fact that he was willing to fight for what he believed. And I remember uh, years ago reading about him that he he really, really wanted to make a point, and that was what the hunger strike was all about, wasn't it? It, it was. It, it was, you know, it was a passive resistance, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was the impotence of being incarcerated. Not only he fulfilled his first uh, sentence, but afterwards 
he received a second sentence, and therefore he remained in jail when he should have been released. Um, it's a tragic story, and it had a great impact in, in my dad's life and my life. And, and, and I remember in my, when my dad was about to pass away in his deathbed, I made a promise to him, which I should fulfill, that I would make sure that his name would be perpetuated and it would be kept alive. And that's what I've done you know, throughout the years through my writings and sometimes conferences, uh, trying to keep that uh, memory alive. Right. Which, you know, well, I, and, and you carry his name. You carry, I carry his it. name, which yes. is a great, uh, you know, it's a great responsibility. It's a great honor. It is. It is also a great responsibility because when people see your name, I mean, that was my first reaction when I met you many years ago. I mean, right away I said, wow, this must be real. And this man must be related to Pedro Luis Boitel. And then you told me the story that he was your uncle. So uh, you carry his name. And uh, it's, as I said, it's a great responsibility, but it's also a tremendous honor to know that uh, you're named after one of the real heroes, really, of Cuban history. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, basically, his legacy for prosperity was that you should never relinquish your principles and fight for what is right. And it cost him his life. But, you know, he was an idealist. And, uh, I mean, it's been 51 years. But, like I said, his memory is still alive as far as I'm concerned. Not only I carry his, I carry his name because he was my uh, godfather. And my oldest son, he's also named Pedro Luis Hotel. I wanted to pass it on to him, which I Well, did. that's great that you're keeping that, that name going because that I is mean. a name that should keep going. Of course, your Uncle Pedro did not have any children, to my knowledge. No, he didn't. Right? So no, he didn't have least, any at, at least you can keep the name going, you know, uh, in his... Uh, in his memory. I remember the first time that I met you. Uh, it was almost 30 years ago. And yeah. it was around uh, Roberto Martin Perez, if you remember, okay. when he yeah. came to Dallas. And Roberto, I believe that Roberto and your uncle knew each other at prison. Or yeah. they, I don't yeah. know if they were together, but they, they knew of each other quite a bit. And later, later when my, uh, my father's cousin, uh, Dr. Dr. Ignacio Segurola, uh, my, he told me also that your uncle was legendary among the political prisoners. I mean, that they all knew him and he was a great inspiration to them. So your, your uncle touched a lot of people. I, I mean, an unbelievable number of people who he impacted with his idealism, integrity. I, I, I just, I don't have enough words. We could do an entire program praising your, your uncle, Pedro Luis <laughs> Yes, I mean, uh, again, uh, he believed that Cuba should be free, and then, uh, you know, Castroism came about, and uh, he changed everything. And from that idealism of youth, uh, well, it became this nightmare that we have lived for the past 62 years, and I hope that within five years, it ceases to exist. I mean, and that is my hope. Uh, Castro is gone, his brother is still alive, but he's 90 or 91, and you know, the old guard, it, it, it's just dying out, therefore, maybe the new generation uh, 
will be different. I mean, it will embrace freedom the way you and I do, which, you know, is beautiful. I, I think that, you know, what can I say? There's, uh, you know, one of the great tragedies of, of, of Cuba is that things just take a long time. You know, I remember I used to talk to my grandmother who was actually born uh, when Cuba was still a Spanish colony. And some of her family were involved in, in the Cuban independence movement. I think one of her cousins actually fought in the Cuban independent movement. This is from Spain. And my grandmother always lamented how long, you know, that history just, in Cuba, the history is very slow and it just takes time for change. And look how long communism has been in Cuba. And by, you know, you, you look at the situation in Cuba today, by any objective standard, the regime should not stay in power. There's nothing going on. They're not popular. Uh, the people are not doing well, but they managed to stay in power, maybe fear, repression. I don't know. I mean, but they managed to stay in power somehow. I, I have uh, my own theory, and it's that, uh, you know, every time Cubans go back to Cuba, they generate revenues for the government. The European countries, they're conducting business in Cuba, building hotels, sending tours. That's more revenues for the government, not for the people. Because, you know, if, if you think about it, communism, it, it makes everyone equally poor, except the ones at the top, the ruling class, who, you know, reap all the benefits. Of a, of a totalitarian regime. Your children go to the best schools above, and they have all the privileges that are neglected to the Cuban people. So uh, it, it's amazing, 62 years, and uh, when is it going to end? I mean, I, I wish I knew, and I hope it's soon, and I hope it happens within my lifetime. Yes, well, I, I mean, too. I mean, I, I, you know, every time I think, I think when that day comes, and it will come, the one thing that I will think most about is my parents. Uh, that's the one thing that will be foremost in my mind is is my parents. My parents didn't get to see the end of communism in Cuba, obviously. And I, I would love to go to Cuba. And I, I have one wish, to go to Cuba and see the church where my parents were married. That is the one wish I have. I don't really care about seeing anything else, but I want to go to the, the, the church where they were married, uh, I, I, I just want to go to that church, and it's still there. It's still there. It's a church in Ciego de Avila where they were married, and I, I just want to go to that church and, and see it and touch it. Obviously, when they were married, I was, I was just a dream, <laughs> but, I, but I would love to go to that church and just sit there in one of the pews and, and imagine somehow, because I've seen a lot of their photos, I've seen a lot of their wedding photos, and it would be nice for me to be able to go back and just sit in one of the pews and look at the altar and imagine, you know, their photos and being there. That's the one dream I have of going to Cuba, honestly. Um, it's the one thing that that I hope I get to do in, in my lifetime. But, it, but I, I could go to Cuba now like anybody else, but that's not what I want. Yeah. I want to go to, to a free Cuba. I do not want to go to a communist Cuba. That is correct. I will never travel to Cuba as long as it is ruled by the communist regime, by a totalitarian, repressive regime that has, like I said, neglected its people and doesn't think about the welfare of its uh, population. And, you know, it will be very significant and gratifying for you 
you visited the place where your parents got married, then, you know, you'd probably become very nostalgic, and uh, it'll be a wonderful experience. I mean, yeah. it will transport you back to where they were at one point in their life. Yeah, it's just a dream I have. It, it's a, a desire I have because I've seen a lot of their photos of that day, and I just would would just love to go back and, as I say, put myself in that church, sit in the pew, look at the altar, and imagine my parents uh, being married. And, and I'm sure that the last thing they were thinking about that day was that they would be living in the United States. That's the thing that, and I'm sure your family was the same way. That is the thing about our generation is that our parents never thought they would leave Cuba. They didn't have to. They didn't have to, you know. I mean, they became political exile because, uh, I mean, uh, they, they had no choice. You know, they were evicted from their homeland. That's the way I see it. And, uh, no, I, I don't think any of them thought at that given point that things would transpire the way they did. And, unfortunately, that's the way history occurs, and uh, we're still dealing with it. But I have faith that one day, one day, I'll be able to go back to Cuba. And, you know, I left Cuba back in 1971. We moved to Spain for three years. And uh, it's been, what, 52 years now? Mm-hmm. And I've been in the States almost 50. And I always tell people I think like an American, but I feel like a Cuban. Right. You know? And and, and I think it's, it's important for us to, uh, for people, people to understand that we are so grateful to the United States. I mean, uh, I'm a U.S. citizen, like you are, I'm sure. And yeah. we're very grateful to the United States for giving us, I always feel like the United States adop- adopted us, like an adopted, like we were these, you know, we were, you know, uh, orphans and we were adopted by the United <laughs> States. I always feel that way. And I feel so grateful uh, to have had the opportunity to live and grow up here. But that that part of Cuba, that a lot of it has to do with our parents, of course, it, is always there. Well, let's talk about some of the stuff going on in Cuba right now. The the one interesting thing is that China and Cuba are talking, and there's uh, the possibility of a spy, a military outpost. Uh, they yes, even yes. talk of Chinese soldiers. Uh, I don't know if the Chinese are actually going to put troops in Cuba. I think that would be very serious. But the spy operation, well, that could happen. But Cuba, of course, and Pedro, you can give me your opinion on this. Cuba is broke. It doesn't have any money. There is really no future for Cuba. The economy is in shambles. There's no, they're not going to get money from anybody. So they're basically just selling the island. They're just saying, hey, you know, if you buy this and help us stay in power, take it, take it. And that's kind of the way I see this relationship with China. It's it's a purely, it's totally convenient relationship. That's all that it is. There's no history behind it. There's no morality behind it. it. Is China wants to be close to the United States, and Cuba needs a sugar daddy. That's how I see it. Very much. And, and they're being opportunistic. That's what the Chinese are doing. And they will sacrifice themselves anyone if the if the conditions are, are I mean appropriate to doing so. Propitious is probably a better word. You know, they have always had a repressive communist regime with a history of ruthless terror that has contributed throughout history to more than 150 million 
victims. I mean, that's a lot of people. They have killed with their cleansings and Mausebones, you know, cultural revolution, and so on. Uh, they have always been notorious for making a mockery of all basic human rights. Even minorities are repressed in China. And therefore, you know, I believe that the United States should take a firm stand on this particular issue. But with the Biden administration, you know, I mean, things, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to deal with it. Or is it, if Trump were in power, or if we had a, a, a real commander-in-chief, I would, you know, I would have higher hopes. But with the Democrats in power, uh, you know, they become too, uh, there's too much permissiveness. And they, uh, they allow them to do practically anything. Right. And then the, going back to Cuba being financially strapped, Cuba would take the millions. Cuba would sell its soul if he had to in order to generate revenues. He has prostituted the nation, the women, the men. I mean, they couldn't care less as long as they have some income that allows them to either to keep him or sustain them in power. Right. So uh, I read somewhere that uh, Castro was the biggest uh, pimp. <laughs> I mean, basically, in approximate the word. Uh, because, you know, he, he has, you know, the Cubans became like a sacrificial lamb. He has allowed the country, like you said, to be the economy is in shambles. Uh, it's just uh, the infrastructure is a mess. There is hunger. Uh, even those who supported him initially are beginning to turn against him and, and rebel because it's a very dire situation right now. Well, there is no future. I mean, if you're, and I remember reading about this uh, in the New York Times of all places a few years ago. Uh, Cuba has a very low birth rate. I mean, Cuba is becoming one of the oldest countries in the hemisphere. And they were asking young people, why don't you, why don't you want to have babies? And they said, why, why would you want to bring a baby in here? You know, why would you want to bring a baby into this country? And, uh, you know, young people have, you know, the idea of having a baby and, you know, having a family which, you know, had always been obviously a, a tradition in Cuba, has disappeared because the young people, you know, even if they get married, they don't want to have kids and they don't want to bring children, babies into, into the country. I mean, the country's a mess. They've had to reschedule all their debts. Countries have had to forgive their debts. So it, it's a total mess. So they're, they're basically just saying to the Chinese, hey, you can have whatever you want. Just keep us in power. That's okay. it. You know, just keep it us running things. Somehow, you know, we will take it. I mean, and uh, let's talk about China's military intelligence activities in Cuba. You know, that should be a grave concern to any American president. And you also mentioned the troops that, you know, it's just pure speculation, that they're going to send to Cuba. I read earlier today that it would be about 15,000 Chinese troops stationed in Cuba. And, uh, I mean, it, uh, it's food for thought, the way I see it. Uh, the communist island is only 90 miles away from Florida. And, uh, like I said, the Biden administration has neglected to track China's global growing influence, especially at our doorsteps. It's just, I mean, 90 miles is nothing. And, and I don't want to see Chinese stationed in Cuba 90 miles away from the United States. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what, what do you think could be done to curtail 
or, or to limit China's influence in Cuba. Right. What can the present administration, Biden's administration, do to, to uh, I don't know if to put an end to it, but at least to, to, to become a deterrent to it? Well, I think that they could, I mean, but by the way, I just, just to show, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but Cuba is actually closer uh, to the United States. It's, some, it's like between Waco and Dallas. That is it's roughly 100 miles. Now, there is a point where it's 90 miles to Key West, but most of the rest of the, of the northern part of Cuba is about 100 miles, particularly. Yeah, yeah uh, so, so it's, it's, it's nothing. I mean, militarily speaking, it's, it's nothing. But the, there are some options that the, the Biden administration has. Now, I wrote a post at the American Thinker this week where I argue that we shouldn't be wasting our time with China. China is going to do whatever they want to do because they're basically China. Uh, he, they, they, they're sensing weakness and they're taking advantage of it. That's all they're doing. They sense a weak administration and they take advantage of it. But we could go to Cuba and say, if you do this, we're going to stop remittances. There won't be any more... Uh, there won't be any more agricultural sales or medical supplies. I mean, we're basically going to do an economic blockade. So tightening the embargo, basically that, I mean, that might work. Uh, but, you know, so far the embargo hasn't worked because they, I don't know, some countries find a way to circumvent it, to bypass it. And I still think, I wouldn't say the country's flourishing, but the tourist, the tourism industry is obscene, to say the least. And, you know, and I strongly denounce the Italians, the Spaniards, and all the other uh, members of the European community who travel to Cuba, uh, exploit Cuban women and Cuban men, both, and uh, they take advantage of the vulnerability of the island. Uh, and, and again, they allow the island to subsist, because they're not existing, they're subsisting. I mean, but they're surviving. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I thought that with the movement, movement Patria Evita, things were going to change. But, you know, they became very repressive. They uh, incarcerated all the leaders of the movement, and therefore uh, it became extinct. But, and, you know, it's been a couple of years, and uh, I, I don't know what's going to be next. But an alliance with the Chinese is always dangerous. They're not to be trusted. Well, that's that's a very good point, and that, that was something I wanted to bring up because the the fact is that the, the Chinese are not there because they have any historical relationship with Cuba. They're there; it's purely an opportunity. That's all that they see it, and so they're also very practical people. I mean, they will pull the chain on the Cuban government the minute they think. The, I mean, if if for example the the, the American government are in a negotiation with China and say, okay, we'll give you a better economic deal if you allow, if, if you get rid of the Cuban government, the Chinese would do it in a heartbeat. They they really yes, they would. Yeah, they, they, you know, they don't care about Cuba. They don't have any historical ties with Cuba, although I should say this, this has nothing to do with China, but there were many, many Cubans uh, who came to Cuba a hundred years or so ago of Chinese descent, and there's a large Cuban population of Chinese descent, 
And I remember uh, my father used to tell me stories of how there was a neighborhood in Havana called, it was kind of like El Barrio yeah. Chino, that's what it was yeah. called. Yeah. yeah. And there, was, there were many, many Chinese Cubans who had small businesses and so on, but that's a different, I mean, that's a different China than what we're talking about now. But yeah, I think the Chinese would pull the rug on Cuba. I mean, the Chinese are not there because of Cuba. They're there because of the United States. And, uh, yes, but that, that's what propels them. That's what motivates them, you know. And they have the economic power. So uh, they do present a threat, as far as I'm concerned, and something must be done about it. And I don't know if this administration is capable of doing so. Uh, they better because I, I think public opinion is not going to go well for them if if there's suddenly 20,000 or 10,000 Chinese troops in Cuba. That's not going to be an easy one to sell to the American people. people. That's the way I see it. And I want to keep them away from the hemisphere. But you know, they have had influence in Africa. Uh, they're expanding in Latin America. And you know, they have become you know, a, a, a something to deal with. I mean, a uh, a serious threat, like I mentioned before. Um, again, we'll see how much more they expand, and we'll see if anybody attempts to block them, stop them, or like I said, deter them, or just become an impediment along the way, so they don't continue spreading and diffusing the message of hatred, because that's what it is. Uh, communism is a failure. But, you know, you're talking about the Chinese have a market-oriented economy, yet, you know, they, they're very repressive and they have total control. It's centralized. And, and you know, there are a lot of uh, millionaires in the Chinese government right now. So they have learned how to profit from the capitalist uh, point of view, yet they have maintained this uh, lack of freedom and lack of uh, human rights. Even minorities are, are, are persecuted and, and repressed in China. Um, our homeland must be a national interest, must be protected at any cost. And we need a president with guts. And the one we have right now has been debilitated by the left. He listens to the left. I mean, the country, our country right now, it's a mess. It's evenly divided. And if we don't have a Republican president soon, things are just going to get worse than they are. Right. That's the way I see it. So. No, I, I, I see you're right. I, I see a lot of bad signs in the country, not just the situation with China. Look at the cultural situation in the country. I mean, look at the, you know, this, this, you know, all this nonsense about, you know, people marching or dressing. I mean, men dressing up as women and performing in front of children. I mean, there's like a, this cultural problem that we have as well. It just seems like everything is coming apart. It feels like, you know, it's not the country. I don't know if you have the same feeling, but a lot of times. I grew up in, yes. No, it you is. wake up in the morning and say, wait a minute, is this the same country I was living in five years ago? Because it doesn't feel that way, Pedro. I always call it, the, it's either the American dream or the socialist nightmare. That's the choice that we have. And, you know, socialism is a, a stepping stone to communism. I mean, it's, it's not far from communism. And, uh, you know, I, I believe... Uh, and, and, the, and the American Constitution, we agree to disagree, and that's okay, you can have your beliefs, your set of beliefs, I can have mine, I don't have to agree with everything you say, neither you with me, but I mean, 
respecting each other. The left has become too intolerant. They are the intransigent ones. They are the ones that prohibit, forbid, I mean, prescribe. What, what's going on? Yes, I came to this country almost 50 years ago, and uh, it, it, the contrast, it's uncanny, to say the least. This is not the America where I grew up where you can have dreams, you can make something out of yourself if you work hard and meritoriously earn it. This is a country of entitlement right now. We have to pay taxes to support parasites? I don't believe in that. I believe in you work hard, you earn your money, you build your future. That's the way it should be. That's the way it was. Always. Well, that's it, and that's the country that I that I remember. Well, I, share, I mean, and, and I just, pleasure. but I, I just, you know, it, it's just amazing to me when I look around, and it's just a different country, and and it's such a short time, uh, the the country has gone to has gone to hell. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it's just been a total collapse. Well, Pedro, we're going to have to wrap it up because the one thing we cannot have is an unlimited clock. But I, okay. I hope that uh, we can do this again. And, I would love uh, to. And uh, please tell, where can people read what you write? I mean, do you have uh, a website? Uh, Facebook. I have a page, uh, Pedro Luis Boitel. And uh, let's see, I, I don't know if I can. I'll go ahead and I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link. And that well, way. I, if, it's, if it's on Facebook, I have it. Of yeah, course, okay. That's Perfect. how I contacted you. All right. But I think that, you know, if, if you put, I know you put things on Facebook so people can follow you there they do. and, and mm -hmm. get, uh, get your articles. But I want to thank you so much for your joining us today. And thank you so much. And again, you, you, you have a, you carry uh, a great name, the name okay. of your uncle, Pedro Luis Boitel, who was just a, a great Cuban and someone that all of us admire so much. I mean, I, remember it's just so there's a lot of great things about your uncle that i we'll remember reading. A, a podcast next time on my uncle and i'll i'll go ahead and uh put something together that i can share with the public so we can disseminate it right yeah. no you're right and there is a book that somebody wrote about your uncle right but it's in spanish yes there's an argentine author who right. wrote a book and i believe he won an award in madrid in spain I haven't read it. I've read other books, but not that one. So um, yeah, no, there there is a book because in the Amazon they have that book. They they have a book about your uncle. Because uh, I, I know what you're talking about. I have a copy of that. Okay, it, it's a very short. Well, well, all right. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It's been a pleasure after what well, thirty plus years. It's been a while it's, since I've seen you. Yeah, but we've stayed in touch, of course. But yes, we have. You're right. It's been a while since. Uh, since I've seen you when we got together that one time here in Dallas, but thank you so much for accepting the invitation. And I look forward to talking to you more often. Likewise. Thank you very much indeed. You have a good evening. Thank you so much. Uh, our good friend, uh, Pedro Luis Boitel, of course, his uncle, uh, Pedro Luis Boitel, uh, one of the great heroes of the anti-communist uh, movement in Cuba, a man who was a political prisoner and then died and, Cuba's political prisons in 1972, but his name, even though it's been 51 years, his name is always, always, whenever you're talking about the great, great heroes of the, the fight against communism, uh, his, uh, his name is everywhere. And I, I, all I can tell you is that, uh, as I was saying to Pedro, he has a great responsibility carrying that name 
because that name means uh, so much to those of us of, of my uh, of my generation. Well, thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Again, our thanks to to Pedro, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.